Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the Ark of the Covenant as we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 11. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. There are some rumors that Jeremiah hid the Ark of the Covenant. But the Ark of the Covenant was not in Herod's temple. And perhaps someplace in the earth today, that Ark of the Covenant still exists. It would be a fascinating archaeological find. Because within the Ark of the Covenant are the two tables of stone upon which God inscribed the Ten Commandments. And so how fascinating it would be to find this little golden box and inside two stones with strange writing on them. It was the only furnishing within the Holy of Holies. And uh, Solomon built this seven years, overlaid the whole thing with gold, the planks and all overlaid with gold. It must have been fabulously beautiful and, of course, extremely expensive. They've estimated, of course, that was at gold $32 an ounce. They estimated the cost at, uh, into the hundreds of millions. Now at uh, $547 an ounce, I don't know. It would really be something. So it gives you the sort of the dimensions of the building and the carvings and so forth, and I'll leave you to peruse those at your own leisure. So he was seven years, the end of chapter 6, in building the house of God, but Solomon was building his own house for 13 years, and he finished all of his house. So it shows where his priorities began to turn. Seven years building the house of God, then turning around, and 13 years building his own. But then it goes on and tells of the dimensions of, the Sol- of Solomon's house and the foundation of these costly great stones, 10 cubits, which would be 15 feet, and 8 cubits, which would be about 12 feet. So 12 to 15 feet. And Hiram was furnishing all of these cedars and so forth as uh, the contract read. Now it tells of the building of the Uh, of of the two brass pillars that they made at the entrance, for the entrance of the temple, and one they called Jachin and the other Boaz. It means he shall establish Jachin and Boaz, it is, in it is strength. Now just what the purpose of these two brass pillars has led to a lot of conjecture but we really don't know. He shall establish, and in it is strength. But of course, the Masons make a lot out of the two brass pillars and out of Solomon's temple and its design and all. And uh, many uh, Christian mystics uh, make a lot out of the two uh, brass pillars. They were later carried to Babylon. But then also a brass washing basin and 12 oxen, three facing towards the north, 
three towards the east, south, and west, all of them facing outwards, and then this big brass swimming pool on top, almost the size of a pool. As you read the dimensions, it would hold about 16,000 gallons of water, and this was for the priest to bathe. You remember outside the tabernacle, there was the brass laver for the priest to bathe. Well, they really made an elaborate one here at the temple, sitting on these oxen and so forth. And uh, if you can get a, um, uh, some of the Bible type of handbooks have artist impressions of what it might have looked like. And a lot of times it helps to see uh, the thing done artistically, the, the 12 oxen and this big brass laver on top, thick brass. And uh, it, then all of the lavers and so forth that they made for the inside work, for the candles, candle snuffers and all, were all made out of gold. Everything that was applied to the altar on the outside was of brass. Brass is always a metal that is symbolic of judgment. So the, the cleansing in the brass laver, judgment, the necessity of cleansing. The altar itself overlaid with brass, judgment, uh, the animal having died, and, and all of the instruments that had to do with the sacrifices and all were done with brass. But those that had to do with just the fellowship and worship with, of God inside were of gold, uh, symbolic of the heavenlies. And so you're entering in now to the heavenlies, into the area of God, and that's done in gold. But the other instruments, all of brass, and chapter 7 deals with the various instruments and those that were made of brass, those that were made of gold. Chapter 8, Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, and they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple and as they did, the glory of the Lord came and filled the temple. And there, there was just this glorious presence of God, even as did take place at the time of the dedication of the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now again, God's presence, the Shekinah glory of God filling the temple. And Solomon there offered his prayer of dedication unto God. And this dedicatory prayer of Solomon's is, of course, a classic. As he speaks, first of all, of his building of the temple, in verse 17 he said, It was in the heart of David my father to build a house for the name of the Lord God of Israel. And the Lord said unto David my father, Whereas it was in your heart to build a house unto my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Now, God accounted it to David as having done it because it was in his heart to do, though David was not allowed to do it. God takes your motives many times above your actions. It is possible to have the right actions with the wrong motives. That is not acceptable by God. You may have the right motives, but not carry through in actions. The fact that the motive, the desire is there, is acceptable by God. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. God looks upon that which motivates you. 
and, and that which is in your heart to do, and that's what God counts, what is in your heart to do. Not always am I able to do what's in my heart. You know, it may be that a person is a very generous person but has nothing to give. God sees the heart. He sees the desire of the heart to give. Even though there is nothing to give, God counts the desire of the heart even more than the wealthy person that gives God a pittance of their wealth. Remember Jesus talking about the little widow. She gave more than the rest. Though it was just a mite, she gave of her substance. The rest have all tossed in out of their abundance. That doesn't count. God sees the heart. He knows the motive of the heart. It was in David's heart to build the temple, and as much as in his heart, God said, that's good. It was in your heart to do. But you can't do it because you've got too much blood on your hands. A man of war, but your son that shall come out of your own loins, he will build the house in my name. So the Lord hath performed his word that he spoke. Now, this affirmation of God's faithfulness to perform his word is something that we need to take note of. Verse 20. For you can be sure that God will perform his word that he declares. And Solomon has now affirmed the fact that God has performed. And I am risen in the place of my father David to sit upon the throne of Israel. And as the Lord promised and have built the house for the name of the Lord God of Israel, I have set there a place for the ark wherein is the covenant of the Lord which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And now Solomon's prayer. So he stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation. He spread forth his hands towards heaven. So you see Solomon now standing there. And all of the congregation of Israel having assembled. And Solomon lifts his hands unto God. And there he begins this prayer of dedication. O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in the heavens above or in the earth beneath, who keeps covenant and mercy with your servants that walk before you with all your heart. God, there's no God like you anywhere. And you have kept with your servant David, my father, that which you promised him. For you spoke also with your mouth and you have fulfilled it with your hand as it, we see it today. It's always glorious to stand and see the fulfillment of God's word, God's promise. Lord, you said it and look, there it is. <laughs> always exciting to, to stand in the fulfillment of God's word. Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father that which you promised him, saying, There shall not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel, so that thy children take heed to their way, that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now, O God of Israel, let your word, I pray thee, be verified which you spoke to your servant David my father. But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. So Solomon's recognition of, of sort of the ludicrous situation, God, the heavens of heaven can't contain you, how much less this house I have built. But have respect, Lord, toward this place and towards the prayers that are offered here. And hearken to the cries when your servants pray before you that your eyes may be open on this house day and night, even towards this place where you have said, my name shall be there, and that you'll hearken unto the prayer which your servant shall make toward this place, 
and hearken to the supplication of your servants and your people Israel when they shall pray toward this place. Hear from heaven thy dwelling place. When you hear, forgive. Beautiful. Lord, when they pray towards this place, hear from your dwelling place in heaven. We know that you don't really dwell here. You dwell in heaven. But hear, and when you hear, O God, forgive. And now he, he foresees various situations that may arise. If a man trespasses against his neighbor and an oath be laid upon him to cause him to swear, and the oath comes before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and do and judge your servants, condemning the wicked and bringing his way upon his head and justifying the righteous. When Israel is smitten before their enemies because they have sinned against thee and they turn again to thee, and they confess your name, and they pray, and they make their prayers in this house, then hear thou in heaven and forgive. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because we have sinned. Now notice that he attributes the national calamities to the sins of the people. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And the national calamities are the result of the sins of the people. What's that make the United States? You know that thou should, verse 36, teach them the good way wherein they should walk and give rain upon the land which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. And if there is a famine or a pestilence, a blasting mildew or the locusts or caterpillars, or if the enemy besieges them, whatsoever plague or sickness there might be, and prayer and supplication is made by any man or by all the people, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest, for thou even you only know the hearts of all of the children of men. As we said earlier, God looks on the heart. Now if your people go out to battle against the enemies, wherever you send them, and they shall pray unto the Lord towards this city which you have chosen, then hear thou in heaven their prayer and their supplication, and maintain their cause. Now you remember, of course, it goes on here to say, and if they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and you be angry with them, and deliver them into their enemies, so that they are carried away captives to the land of the enemies, either far or near, and they bethink themselves of the land, whether they are carried captives, they repent, and they make supplication unto thee in the land where you have carried them captives, saying, We have sinned and done perversely. We have committed wickedness. And so return unto thee with all their heart, and with all their soul, in the land of their enemies, which you have led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city which you have chosen, the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou their prayer. Now, remember later on when Daniel was a captive in the land of Babylon. And after the Medo-Persian Empire had overcome the Babylonian Empire, and Darius was tricked into signing a decree that if any man should make a petition or request of anybody outside of King Darius for the period of 30 days, he should be cast into the den of lions. And you remember that Daniel went to his house, as was his custom, and opened his windows towards Jerusalem and prayed unto the Lord. He was remembering what Solomon had prayed. Lord, if they're captives in a land and they turn towards this place and pray here. Now, earlier on, 
The prayer of Daniel in the ninth chapter is a beautiful thing indeed because, again, Daniel was thinking of this very passage. For Daniel, when he prayed, his prayer was actually a confession of sin. Lord, we have sinned against thee. We've done wickedly, and he is confessing the sin, even as Solomon said, Lord, if they're in captivity, and they confess their sin and all, and Daniel was following the pattern that Solomon had set forth in this prayer of dedication, turning towards Jerusalem, confessing the sins, and asking God's forgiveness and God's help. So Daniel, a very beautiful man because he was a man of the word. He knew the word of God. He knew the prophecies of Jeremiah. He knew the time of captivity was about up. And following the pattern that Solomon had set in this prayer, Daniel thus prayed unto the Lord out of the captivity in Babylon. And God heard, and they were released from that captivity. Now, when Solomon prayed this prayer, God answered Solomon. And the answer of Solomon is oftentimes quoted by itself and not in context. Second Chronicles 7.14, the Lord's answer to Solomon was, For if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their nation. That was God's answer to this prayer of dedication. We'll get that more when we get to Second Chronicles. Now, after he had finished his prayer and supplications, he arose from before the altar of the Lord. So it's said that he was standing, but now he evidently went to his knees because he is rising from kneeling on his knees with his hands spread from heaven. He began by standing, went down to his knees, his hands lifted to heaven, and he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of his good promise which he promised by the hand of Moses, his servant. Isn't that a great testimony for God? Not one word of his promises have failed. The Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us or forsake us, that we might incline our hearts to him, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments and statutes and judgments. And let these my words wherewith I have made supplication before the Lord be nigh unto the Lord our God day and night, that he maintain the cause of his servant and the cause of his people Israel at all times as the matter shall require. And all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and there is none else. And let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes, to keep his commandments as this day. So he's charged the people, be perfect with God. Walk in his ways. And so they offered the sacrifices before the Lord of peace offerings, 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Probably the biggest barbecue on record. <laughs> Great time of feasting and rejoicing then before the Lord as they have now completed the house and dedicated the house unto the Lord. 
So the same day the king hallowed the middle part of the ground, he declared it holy because they didn't have enough room to, to barbecue all of the beef in the area of the sacrifices and also they made the whole area holy and, and they offered up the burnt offerings and all, all over the place there. And at that time Solomon held a feast, all Israel with him, a great congregation from the entering in of Hamath under the river of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and then another seven days. They went on for 14 days celebrating. And the eighth day he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went up unto their tents, joyful and glad of heart for all of the goodness that the Lord had done for David his servant and for Israel his people. And that's the way people should always leave the presence of God, joyful and glad of heart. That's the proper attitude. Having been with God, fellowship with God, should always create that joyfulness and that happiness within. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 1 Kings on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 1 Kings 6-8 through when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you again for the privilege of studying your word, and may your spirit bless it now that we might hide it away in our hearts, that we might learn from the lessons of history. And Lord, help us that we might walk in thy ways, that we might keep thy word, and that we might, O oh God, experience and know thy faithfulness in your keeping your word to us. We thank you, Father for the many blessings and the glorious promises that have been given to us. And we rest in thee. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. Undoubtedly, one of the most glaring signs that our society is in trouble is the breakdown of the family unit. Marriages just aren't making it today, and kids are suffering as they watch the breakup of their homes. Those marriages still holding together are often plagued by conflict and turmoil, making the home a battleground instead of a refuge. 
That's why The Word for Today would like to present Pastor Chuck Smith's Marriage and Family MP3, where Pastor Chuck discusses basic biblical principles to keep a family's love alive. Each member of the family has a different set of needs and responsibilities. And when you know and apply God's principles, everyone in the family can experience real peace, real joy, and an agape love. To order your copy of the Marriage and Family MP3 by Chuck Smith, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.